0: Let me say hello to you. My name is Kyle. Welcome to Uplift. Welcome to the conversation on Sunday mornings. And welcome to our podcast also called Uplift. We are in a teaching series called Four Resolutions. We are making one resolution a week for the first four weeks of 2024. Last week from Mark chapter 1 verse 1, we made the very first resolution and it was this. I resolved to believe the gospel. That's resolution number one. It's a resolution worth making, and I think it's a resolution worth keeping. Last week, I also shared with you a quote from New Testament scholar Howard Key, who wrote that the Gospel of Mark is a piece of literature unlike anything written before or since. It tells the story of the birth of Christianity in a glaringly organic way. There's stories of dinners, and farmers, and the like. And when you set the story that Mark writes against other first writings of other origin stories of other religious movements, the Gospel of Mark actually sticks out. Not because of its extravagance. It sticks out because it's not extravagant. It's just a normal book. But Mark had a really powerful reason. He wrote this story about Jesus to people in the city of Rome who endured unmentionable and gruesome horrors in Roman persecution because they believed in Jesus. Yet, in spite of such a great contest of suffering, Mark believed that the gospel about Jesus is more than sufficient. So, it's in this context that we open this gospel from which we're going to gather four simple but life-changing resolutions. Our text But this message comes from Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start reading this right off the bat in verse 2. We're going to go all the way through verse 8. Here we go. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John appeared. saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the reading of the gospel. We're going to begin right off the bat, too, with resolution number two. And from here, we're going to unpack what resolution number two actually means and why it's so important to make. Here we go. Resolution number two is this. I resolve to join the way of the Lord. I resolve to join the way of the Lord. Now, like resolution number one, resolution number two probably sounds overly simplistic. And if you're a believer, if you've been a believer for a while, you're probably already fighting boredom. Now, if you feel that way, if, you, if it's too simplistic or too redundant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute and I'm going to answer both of those. Now, for those of you who think that this is just overly simplistic, I think that's fair. Got to consider the preciousness of your time, right? How often, consider how often you're asked to join something or be a part of something or give something. I want to introduce you to a guy. His name is Ethan Zuckerman. Now, you probably never heard of him. That's okay. But he made an apology to you in 2014, and you probably need to hear his apology. Ethan Zuckerman apologized for creating the pop-up ad on websites. He was the guy who did it. In the 90s, he worked for a website called Tripod.com. And it was there that he wrote the code for the very first pop-up ad. Now, his business, his website, couldn't figure out what they were doing. They were in and out of universities, and they were trying to uh, become a social network. They couldn't figure out what they wanted to be, so they figured out when he wrote the code for the pop-up ad that their business model that would fund them was advertising, and so the pop-up ad was born. And if you've been on any website in the past two or three days, you've seen pop-up ads. In fact, there are a whole slew of articles, if you Google them, about the resurgence of pop-up ads. Marketers love pop-up ads because it can give you exact numbers of how many people have actually viewed your website on a specific page at a specific time. But the other folks, the people who take a look at user experience on a website, say they're awful. They hate pop-up ads. Now, they drive analytics for sure, You can target the number of users. They make those numbers really good, but users actually report extreme dislike for them. In fact, I'm so picky, if I see a pop-up ad, I get off the website immediately. Can't stand them. One marketing group just in the past few months conducted a survey of 452 adults, which found that pop-up ads are the most hated advertising technique of any. And I agree wholeheartedly. Amen to that. We are inundated with things for our attention. So to join something or a movement, right, can seem like another pop-up ad. It's here. It's like a waste of time. So I'm going to speak into that in just a few minutes. I want you to stay tuned. And for those of you who have been believers for years or for decades, you've resolved to join the way of the Lord a long time ago and resolving to do it again sounds like a redundancy, almost like an oxymoron. You made that decision. Next, please. Time to move on. And maybe more than anything, you're now wondering why you showed up or you decided to listen. You probably heard a million messages like this before. I'm going to speak to you too, you faithful, maybe bored believer. In your years of following Jesus, a return So why you did so in the first place may be exactly what you need. So I'm going to be real clear over the next few minutes and hopefully very user-friendly because in the passage we just read from the Gospel of Mark, from the very first story of Jesus' life ever written, Mark provides us three reasons why we should resolve to join the way of Jesus. We're going to move through these rather quickly, so I want you to hold on. Here's the first reason why you should and can make this resolution. It's this, the way, the way of the Lord is hyped. It's hyped. We find this from Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Look at look at what Mark wrote. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before you. Now, that's not a remarkable sentence. I get it. Until we dig a little deeper, and that's what we're going to do. When you dig a little deeper, you start to see what Mark, what his intentions were. Now, a couple of things about this verse that you need to know, and these are important. The first thing is that Mark says this is from Isaiah the prophet. Actually, it's not from Isaiah the prophet. Don't let that startle you. I'm going to explain this in just a minute. Mark said it was, it wasn't. In fact, the words from Isaiah don't show up until verse 3, all right? So I want to make sure you know that. Now, the phrase here, it's not in Isaiah. It's actually found in two places in the Old Testament. So it is from the Old Testament, but it's from two other places. I'm going to show you what they are. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. We're going to read them in just a minute. And Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this. Uh, But for now, it's enough to note that Mark is doing something rather cool. Something very interesting expertly, right? If that's even a word. Maybe something you've never even known or considered. That's the first thing. The second thing, the obvious thing here is that God is sending a messenger. And his sending of a messenger is pretty common. He did it often. In fact, let's read these two verses that Mark references. Exodus chapter 23 verse 20 says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Now, the other one, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, in both of those, in our English languages, the same word is translated differently. In one, it's called angel. The other is called messenger. It's the same word. Different contexts. And in both of these contexts, in their original passages, in the original context, The messengers that God sends introduce the way. That's what they do. In fact, both of them say the way. Mark loved this and he used it. Let me show you a big one. I don't think I have a screen for it, but you know this story. It's in Mark chapter 8. It's one of the, really the fulcrum story of the gospel of Mark Mark writes that Jesus and his disciples were on the way. Puts that phrase in Mark chapter 8. And on the way, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And you know what Peter says? You're the Christ. This interaction happened on the way. What Mark is saying here in the first few verses, in the first verse actually, that he's going to spell out the rest of the gospel, is that the way is important. It's the way of following Jesus. And Mark put these two verses together to foretell that following Jesus is a dynamic experience. It requires motion. The way is a place to go, not a place to be. That's what it is. Here's the second reason why you should make this resolution. Because the way is new. The way is new. Now let's read this again. In the second half of Mark chapter one, verse two, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, we're gonna read this verse a couple of times more. Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way. Now we're gonna start unpacking what Mark's doing here by including these two passages, right? We're gonna see his intention. And this is right here. And I think this is one of the coolest things. In that, in that verse, Mark adds a verb that's not in the original languages. He adds a word here that's not found in either Exodus or Malachi, this idea of preparing the way. It's a specific Greek word. I want to show it to you. say, That's the word, and it means construct or construction. So better translated, this phrase would say that this messenger will construct the way, build the way this word is not in the exodus passage it's not in the malachi passage now this is deep stuff but i think we can handle it mark signaled from the very beginning that the way is going to be built it's not a mere path grass and weeds aren't being cut from a hidden trail in the fields this is brand new a new way is being constructed it's being built that's the second reason here's the third reason to make this resolution. This is maybe the most important. All of it's leading to this, by the way. The way starts in the wilderness. This is the third reason to make this resolution. Now let's read chapter two, I'm sorry, verse two with verse three. Here we go. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way, who will construct your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now we get to the passage from Isaiah. And it's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. This is what it says. I want to show it to you. A voice cries, Isaiah wrote, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, or wilderness, same word, a highway for our God. Mark is pulling from Isaiah and saying that this new path starts in the wilderness. And it's precisely that place where we find John the Baptist. Let's read it. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, this is from Mark 1, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in all the country of Judea. And all Jerusalem were going out to John and were being baptized by him on the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. This way started in the wilderness, not in Jerusalem, not in the temple, not in, at the ground zero for all religious life. It didn't start in the place of polished rituals. It didn't start on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok where people present the fallacy of their perfect lives. It didn't start in marble buildings surrounded by people with practiced prayers. In fact, Mark says that people from that place, from Jerusalem, go to the wilderness they're from the fa- from the facade of perfection and they came to the wilderness because something wild was happening there something new something untamed in a place uninhabited a place without a road map the way of jesus starts in the wilderness it starts on the periphery and this is why mark used those two passages in verse 2 they were the setup For what he puts in his gospel from Isaiah. It's the introduction to that verse. And listen to this. The passage from Exodus. It was a word from God about the first Exodus before his people entered the wilderness of Canaan. Before they would enter the unknown territory that's going to be theirs. And the passage from Isaiah was a word from God about a second exodus through the wilderness where God's people would once and for all find rest and between those two is the passage from Malachi who was the final, the very last prophet of God in the Old Testament who said in the final words of the Old Testament, God's going to do something new. And he's going to bring someone new. The wilderness is where the work of the Lord happens. And it's a place, if we're going to be honest, with which we're probably all too familiar. Let me tell you about the wilderness. You know this. You could probably write this yourself. The wilderness, it's a place where you can barely survive. In fact, that's what Mark says. John barely survived this place. That's why there's some information about what John wore and what he ate. He's not eating anything. He's barely living and surviving there. The place, this is the wilderness. The wilderness is the place of the in-between, like where the Hebrews lived and their escape to Egypt in the book of Exodus. The wilderness is a place to hide. It's where Elijah hid from political authorities in 1 Kings chapter 19. The wilderness is a place of testing. It's where Jesus' temptations happened in Mark chapter 1. The wilderness, it's a place of hunger. Jesus fed multitudes in the wilderness in Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 6. It's also a place for something revolutionary. Prophets were gathered in the wilderness. Find that in Acts chapter 21, verse 38. And the wilderness is also a place of protection. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 12. The woman there hid in the wilderness from the dragon. The wilderness is a symbol for uncertainty and apprehension and fear. It's a place on the fringe of what you and I call normal. And above all, or in spite of all of its various descriptions, the wilderness is the location from which the way of the Lord, this new way, is going to be built. You and I, we know about this wilderness. We know what happened to us in the wilderness collectively just four years ago in this recent pandemic, what I want to show you here for the next few minutes is some statistics about what happened to all of us together in the wilderness, right? In the pandemic, a third of Americans felt severe anxiety. A quarter of Americans showed signs of depression. 56% of adults admitted that the pandemic negatively affected their mental health. In April of 2020, right at the the genesis of the pandemic, text messages to a federal emergency mental health line were up 1,000% from the year prior. 42% of Americans reported feeling hopelessness on any given day through the pandemic. In the pandemic, collectively, we felt the loss of spatial certainty. We had all these social systems where we would... We would meet and interact and gather, but because those were taken from us, they were eliminated. We couldn't find the borders of our wilderness. We didn't know how long this, how big this was, and we also felt the loss of temporal certainty because we didn't know the borders of our wilderness. We didn't know how long it was going to take us to get through it. In fact, Charles Benite, a psychology professor from the University of Colorado, he specializes in post-disaster recovery, and he illustrated temporal uncertainty like this. This is a quote of his. You have an event and then you have the rebuild process that's really demarcated. It's not like a hurricane continues. In other words, at the time, there were no lines of demarcation between the wilderness of that time and when it ended. We didn't know. We didn't know how long it was going to take. But, you know, it's hard to bring that up. Four years ago, we're ready to move on. But I think it's important to note that we all share that wilderness experience together. But if you if you pull that down, you're going to find that those things are very similar to what happens in our personal wildernesses. Those same things happen to us. We're hopeless. We're depressed. We don't know how big our wilderness is, and we don't know how long it's going to take us to get out of it. This is what happens to us in our wilderness. Oh, and man, we've been there. You've been there, and I've been there, and it hurts. It hurts. The wilderness, it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel certain, and some days it feels like you can barely survive. Oh, man. But what Mark says to us, and this is the hope of the gospel of Jesus, is that it is in that place where the story of Jesus actually begins. That's where it begins. It didn't begin in lush, fields, or meadows. It didn't begin in the steel and concrete buildings of power and business. The story of Jesus began in a place of turmoil, and a harsh environment, and it began there on purpose. And here's why. Because it is in the wilderness where we get a front row seat to see the miraculous work of God. That's where we get to see it. Going to show you a couple of verses here. I want to remind you again, I told you we're going to read this from Mark chapter 1 verse two. I want to show you how Mark began his gospel again I want to show you this you need to remember this. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, "I will send my messenger before you." those are two really important words before you who will prepare your way." Now we're going to fast forward to the end of this gospel. Mark chapter 16. Let me tell you what's happening, briefly. Folks have shown up, can't find Jesus' body. There's an angel there. And the angel speaks these words to these people who just discovered Jesus' empty tomb. He says in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. You can see the place where they laid him, but go go. And you tell his disciples and Peter that, what's he doing? He's going before you to Galilee. And there you're going to see him, just as he told you. Look, all of Mark's gospel is the story of life in the wilderness. And it's the story of Jesus who prepared our way through the wilderness. The good news The good news about Jesus is that the wilderness is survivable because of his resurrection. You're going to make it. Now, that doesn't mean that the wilderness isn't tough. It doesn't mean that it won't get tougher. But you need to know this, that Jesus is with you in the wilderness. His way is forged in the wilderness of your life. And it's this reason why we can make the second resolution to join the way of the Lord. This way will take you through the wilderness. It'll get you through it to something glorious on the other side. That's the hope and story of Jesus. And amen for that.